This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM on the air and live streaming on the internet at valleyfreeradio.org. And thanks for joining me this morning. You're listening to Under the Surface, a talk show with a focus on rarely discussed elements of everyday life. And I'm your host, Amy Landau. Thanks for joining me. And today I'm very excited because my guest is Norma Jean Haynes, whom I think of as a bit of a local celebrity around here. When I've I've mentioned her name to people lately that I'm interviewing her, more than one person has said, I know Norma Jean. (laughs) Yeah. So Norma Jean is a songwriter, folklorist, community music organizer, and roving female banjo player who has traveled extensively to learn about traditional music, as I understand it. She's been to many places. She's been to England, Ireland, France, South Africa, and most recently to Bosnia and Herzegovina, where she spent four months learning about traditional music while working with a peace-building organization. And Norma Jean is also a music teacher for second and third graders at the Hilltown Cooperative Charter Public School. And I was lucky enough to attend one of her performances where she shared some beautiful music from Bosnia and Herzegovina, I hope I'm saying that right, as well as some of her own original pieces. I met Norma Jean through my participation in the Spirit of the Hills Community Chorus in Williamsburg, led by Penny Schultz. Norma Jean was very active in our chorus. She wrote a beautiful song about the spring called Green Seed, which our entire chorus sang in rounds. She also led some small groups in the singing of incredible Bosnian songs. But there was something about Norma Jean herself that really struck me as unique and inspiring from the first moment I saw her and heard her when she spoke to our chorus. She just has a very awake manner and open, engaging, and unafraid, alive manner. She's only 20 years old, as I understand it, but she... she, Oh, oh, hold on, I gotta put your mic on. What was that, Norma Jean? I just turned 21 last week. Ah, well, happy birthday. That's right. I did see that. And so she's 21, and she carries herself with so much poise and purpose. She seems to know exactly what she wants to do with her life, which really impresses me. Not only does she know, but she's doing it. So welcome to the show, Norma Jean. It's, it's great to have you here. Thanks. It's so good to be here, Amy. One of the things I've learned about you, what I've learned about you, is that you're very fond of your home, Cummington. <laughs> and I get the sense that Cummington is strongly linked to your music and linked to your study of music in other places. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I first moved out to Cummington around two years ago. Um, I had been working at the Institute for the Musical Arts, which is a rock and roll camp for girls up in Goshen, Wow, you know it. And I used to ride my bicycle up to the creamery, which is kind of the Covington store. It has a cow on top. And one day the creamery was hiring, and so I thought, I'm going to apply for this job. And little did I know, I was kind of stumbling into what would become my musical home. And it all happened very quickly. Um, I started singing at the West Cummington Church on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And then I started giving small concerts all around. And I've met people who played music at their homes. Mm -hmm. And then I started writing songs about Cummington. Mm -hmm. And I'm very interested in the role music plays in communities. And so I've just been experimenting with different ways I can integrate my music into Cummington. Mm-hmm. And I know that you come from a musical family, or at least in terms of your father, and that 
probably got you into music at a young age. What were some of your early musical experiences, you know, besides what you talked about that left a strong impression on you? Mm. Well, there were several that have left a strong impression with me. My father, Chris Haynes, is a very active musician in the Pioneer Valley scene. He's played with the Young at Heart Chorus throughout my life. And so when I was a kid, I have these memories of being with the Young at Heart Chorus and having this choir of 90... Do you know the Young at Heart Chorus? No, I don't. They're this choir of senior citizens who rehearse in the same building we're in right now, upstairs. Oh. Or they used to. Oh, I have heard music upstairs. That's interesting. (laughs) And so that was early... I have these very strong memories of running around my house, kind of ecstatic dancing while my father plays Eastern European accordion tunes. Uh-huh. And I also attended the Hilltown Cooperative Charter Public School. Uh-huh. And Penny Schultz, who leads the Spirit of the Hills Choir, right. was a teacher of mine during that time. And so I learned a lot of music, and a lot of the foundation of my musical ethos now comes from what I learned from her then. Uh-huh. And your your father plays accordion, right? Oh, yes. And yes, I've heard him. He's really talented. So was that as you were growing up, were you hearing all of that? Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And did you immediately gravitate towards the banjo when you were very young? Or uh, what other sort of things were you? Or was that the first thing that you started yeah. to do? Well, when I was very young, I wasn't really aware of music as being something I was very interested in mm-hmm. um, until... I, I took piano lessons for a while, and it really was not my cup of tea. I would avoid practicing at all costs. Uh-huh. And when I was 12, 13 years old, I decided to drop the piano, and I cut my hair off, and I dyed it purple, and I said, <laughs> I'm going to start playing the banjo. <laughs> and I'm not really sure why. It was because my father is left-handed, and so he played almost every instrument besides string instruments because he didn't want to play them backwards, I guess. Uh with the neck board in his right hand and strumming with his left. Uh And so I felt like if I want to play an instrument he doesn't play, it's got to be a stringed instrument. And I didn't really want to play guitar. Okay, so uh, for us people who are not as um, literate musically, um, because it's a string instrument, you're playing it with a different... Yeah, so normally if you're right-handed, you'll play it with the long part of the instrument over your left shoulder. Uh-huh. And he played it with the long part of the instrument over his right shoulder. With the accordion? No, this with a... Like, uh-huh. if he had a guitar... Oh, okay. The long part, which is called the neck... Right. Would, be, ...would have to be over his right shoulder because of, it just has to do with being left-handed and right-handed. Oh, okay, that's all. Okay, yeah, I thought pretty it was simple. more to do with the instrument. All right. Mm-hmm. And so I watched your video on YouTube, which I really liked. That's right, yeah, and you mentioned in the video that you originally went to college to study ethnomusicology. That's that what right? I did. Yeah, and so then you had an epiphany that sort of you switched direction a little bit, except it seems like you're still kind of engaging with that. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about that? Well, I the core of what I've been interested in has always been the same, and it really has to do with how communities make music um, for themselves and for each other. That's a big part of it for me. And so I, I've always been interested in learning about these different ways and then bringing them to play in the communities where I work. And so I went to college thinking I could study different kinds of 
community music situations through ethnomusicology and mm-hmm. also the history of different folk musics. And Tell learning. us what that is, ethnomusicology. It's the study. It's the study of music in a cultural context. Mm-hmm. So it can mean anything from studying um, the British invasion mm-hmm. in uh, some small in Chicago or something mm-hmm. like that, or something like um, studying the indigenous dances, percussive dances of an island in mm-hmm. South America. So you're studying the music in order to learn about the culture, or yes. the culture to learn about the music. Or it's a little, a little bit both. of both. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it has it really. To me, it has to do with, to me, the spark of music is kind of, it has to do with the place where it's from, as well as the music itself. Mm -hmm. So it was a way for me to study the two together. But Mm -hmm. then I realized in college that I was very interested in the practical side of making music. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really able to focus on that as much as I would have liked to studying ethnomusicology. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you had to immerse yourself in a lot of research, I would imagine, Mm -hmm. and reading and stuff like that. Yes. And there's definitely a benefit to that. But it was mostly, it came down to output. Because I didn't want to be writing papers about music so much as I wanted to be creating immersive performances that could engage people in the research I was doing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, and you were probably missing out on the hands-on music making and composing. Absolutely. Well, I had this feeling, honestly, that for the amount of money I was spending for college, my family was spending, that I could be traveling all over the world mm-hmm. oh, and learning music with people. Mm-hmm. And that sounded a lot scarier and much more appealing were you kind of drawn to it because it was a little bit scary? That, I found that interesting. That you, Absolutely. You, you said it was. It sounded scary. Mm-hmm. I'm all for challenges. Uh huh. So rather than turning away or cowering, you you were like intrigued by your fear. Yes. Or something oh, different. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And let's see. Your travels to explore traditional music to, of other cultures have also involved peacekeeping and activist work. Mm-hmm. So what is that link between community singing and activism? I mean, it makes me think of um, the civil rights movement and all the wonderful music from that era. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that there is, there's something really undeniable about a group of people singing together as one. Because there are a few places where we are, where we are really asked to unite and to... Not exactly assimilate, mm-hmm. but to become one voice. To take all of our uniqueness and bring it together as one. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very, very powerful. And choral singing, and also social dancing, really asks you to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think when you bring that into activism, it can be very powerful and very intimidating to power. To see a group of people who are so in sync with one another. Oh. Because I think you could argue that a lot a lot of propaganda is meant to divide people. Mm-hmm. So if you see people standing very strongly together in unity, that actively fights the 
the sort of power structures. Yeah. yeah, and the dominant culture. There you go. Consumers. Yeah, and it's interesting. I also think maybe it has to do with the fact that you're creating something that's original together. I mean, even if you're singing a piece of music that's been sung before, it's different every time, and mm-hmm. especially with a large group of people. Right. So, it's true. like in our, our chorus. So... It almost seems like just doing that in itself is is activism, even if it weren't if it wasn't linked to, you know, protesting the natural gas pipeline. Yes, just creating art in itself as a group could mm-hmm. be considered threatening in some way. Mm-hmm. And I also there's something I love about music, which is that you create something that can have a tremendous impact, but it doesn't. It has no destructive power exactly no Mm -hmm. physical destructive power Mm -hmm. you aren't creating something that's going to pollute the atmosphere or that's Mm -hmm. going to need hundreds of years to decompose in a landfill Mm -hmm. um you're just creating this ephemeral thing Mm -hmm. and then and yet it can stay with people for their entire lives yeah i mean i felt so like that our chorus we talked about this was really powerful and it Mm -hmm. just yeah i hadn't been in one since sixth grade and it was just something like that yeah and it just felt so amazing to be part of that group and to hear our voices create such beautiful music yeah but in terms of the actual what activism have you done with the music like Uh more specifically yeah well most recently I've been involved with fighting a natural gas pipeline through the Otis State Forest in Sandusfield, Massachusetts, through a group of people called the Sugar Shack Alliance. Oh, I've heard of that. Um, So they have been out there. Many of my good friends, I think 26, have been arrested protesting the tree cutting in the state forest um, in preparation for the pipeline. And I've been down there singing and singing at their marches Mm -hmm. and... So that's been important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, when we had, when we were fighting the Kinder Morgan pipeline through communities like Cummington and Plainfield, the Northeast Energy Direct pipeline, I was out there singing a lot, mm-hmm. and I wrote a song for them. Oh, and I actually used pieces of field recordings that I took from the marches, sounds of marching and drums and chanting, and I incorporated them into the song. Mm-hmm. That's called Overjoy. Oh, and. I've also spent time looking at this in different ways. Like when I was in Bosnia and Herzegovina, mm-hmm. and I was working with an interfaith choir there, which is important because um, the war that took place in the, in the 90s was fought along ethnic grounds, and ethnic identities and the religious identities are all tied up. So you have the Bosniak Muslims, the Orthodox Serbs, and the Roman Catholic Croats. Stop me if I'm going too fast. Oh, no, it's fine. But um, this choir was a place for them to come together and reconcile. So I think of that as kind of a more proactive kind of activism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And have you noticed that when you initiate this singing and that it helps kind of build solidarity between people or kind of keep them going in some, like, nourishing way? Um, I, I... hope it does. <laughs> I think it does. Yeah. And I think I, that's a question that I have that I could affirm more by more experience. Yeah. I mean, I know when I've been involved in protests, like it, there is this sense of solidarity when mm-hmm. you're singing a song together or chanting together in some yes. way. Yeah. I think actually with, sh- with things, situations like 
the one in the Otis State Forest, where we have people who are trained as peacekeepers to be on the ground in case any conflicts arise. They're taught that music is one of the most important tools um, for oh. de-escalating conflict. Oh. Because, mm-hmm. and also... So in other words, if they're confronted with police or something, mm-hmm. if they start singing, does that change? Yes. Because it sort of sends the message that we're, we're peaceful. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it expresses solidarity. For instance, when people were getting arrested, we were all singing while people were being brought onto the paddy wagons. Mm-hmm. And then the people in the wagons know, knew we were with them. Oh, yeah. That must be really important and Mm -hmm. meaningful for them especially at that you know very stressful moment when they're being arrested to know that their friends are there through their voices yeah so I'm wondering you've traveled so much have you had any surprising experiences through your travels or that may have shifted your lens in a way especially I find that you know when I've traveled especially to non-western countries or um, or it doesn't even have to be that, but I've, it's sort of like I've gained a, a new view on my home, like returning to my home. Like it's, you know, I see it in a different way. I'm just wondering if you've experienced that at all. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I absolutely do. And I think having a new perspective on home is one of the most valuable things about going away. Mm-hmm. In Bosnia... It was it was different from anywhere I'd traveled before because I really got this sense that whatever whatever was going on in my communities in the United States, I know there are situations in the United States that are much more dire than where we live here, but all the little problems that come up in Western Massachusetts or in my communities in Western Massachusetts had nothing on what was going on mm-hmm. in Bosnia. Yeah. And I never had that experience before. Mm-hmm. But there were things like in Bosnia, we would sleep on couches in our, in our farm because we couldn't really find enough mattresses. Mm-hmm. And then I traveled up to Paris and I was there for 10 days and I think I saw four or five mattresses on the side of the road. Oh, wow. But I remember thinking, if only I could haul these mattresses. Yeah, yeah. But in, yeah, plenty of surprising experiences while traveling. So what were some of the things in Bosnia that um, sort of you recognized as the strife that you saw? Can you give us a picture of that? Yeah. Well, I think that the most vivid example of that was probably actually the stray dogs that you would see. Mm -hmm. Because Bosnia is still coming back from the war that was 20 years ago now, in many ways, I think. But you have situations like the one, there are stray dogs everywhere Mm -hmm. because dogs lost their homes and families who couldn't take them along uh, when they when these bosnian people fled the country Mm -hmm. so you have these dogs and then they're reproducing and you have tons and tons of dogs and there hasn't been a system put in place there's there aren't necessarily resources Mm -hmm. that i know of i don't i'm not an expert Mm -hmm. but to put a system in place to take care of these animals so out in the countryside, you have these dogs roaming in packs around in the woods. Mm-hmm. And so people get these rather vicious dogs to be their guardians mm-hmm. on their farms. So the stray dogs won't come too close. Um. And then you see it. Um, people have relocated. This is the scary part. 
people have relocated in the country based on their ethnic identities. And we do that here too. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's a part of the country which is designated as the Serbian Republic within Bosnia. Mm -hmm. So most of the Bosnian Serbs, many Bosnian Serbs have relocated into the swath of the country Mm -hmm. where they used to live is now pretty empty. So you see a lot of empty houses and a lot of crumbling houses. Mm-hmm. Have you traveled a lot in the U.S. too? I'm curious. Not yet. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I've been all around New England, and I've been a little bit into the Midwest. Mm-hmm. This summer, I'm planning a trip down into the Appalachian South oh. with my banjo, mm-hmm. going to many different music camps and festivals. That's great. Mm-hmm. That'll be exciting. So it seems like part of your work, as I understand it, is to create a kind of cultural exchange between the music of the Hilltown communities and other small communities in foreign places. So I'm just wondering, like, what are some of the links you found? Because it seems like they'd be so different mm-hmm. in many ways. Yes. Well, that is, that's definitely a good, a nice, clear way of putting <laughs> part of what I do. Um, it's funny because... I don't know, the music of the Hilltowns doesn't necessarily come from the Hilltowns. Mm-hmm. It's just little utilitarian songs that have been taken up by this community. I see, yeah. Um, and then songs that we write. There are lots of poets in the Hilltowns mm-hmm. and lots of musicians. Um, but there are definitely links between communities like ours in the Hilltowns and those around the world that I've been to anyways. Mm-hmm. Because the places where I find myself are places where people value gathering as communities. Mm-hmm. And there's something quintessential about that experience that you can convey, you can use it as a common ground from which to share any kind of music or tell any kind of story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because one of the things that I thought about is like, I come from a big city, from New York, and I was just thinking your focus really is more on small towns and communities. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, what about big cities? But then it seems like big cities are sort of made up of small towns in a way in terms of certain streets that are... When I lived in Harlem, there was a street that was predominantly Senegalese, Mm -hmm. and you just walked by, and it was like you're in Senegal listening to people speak French, you know, everywhere. So... Maybe the is that sort of like your focus on the town because it's in a way the town can create its own identity more so than a city that's like mm-hmm. a sort of overwhelming and well, I'd love to look at a city someday, mm-hmm. but as it stands since I kind of left college to make to build an education, I needed to start in a place which was a size that I could understand and in which I would feel somewhat safe. Mm -hmm. We talk about safety and fear. Oh, that's true. um, I I think it's an interesting observation that a city could be made up of small communities as well. Mm -hmm. But I'm especially interested in small communities because I think that they can, they have an opportunity to be sustainable. Um, in the context of a changing world. And so I'm interested in how people choose to govern themselves and how people, I mean, in a small community, there are more opportunities for everybody to be empowered. Mm -hmm. 
And so I'm very interested. I think that's true. In yeah. bringing that to other communities where maybe they haven't realized, you know, the power's still asleep. Ah. Oh. But I haven't quite gotten there yet. That's a little ways down the line. The power is still asleep. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So do you think that's particularly true of communities that have experienced war or something that's made the community feel powerless? Mm-hmm. It could be. Uh, because when when something like war happens, especially war that has to do with identities, people stop talking about community. Mm-hmm. It's It becomes... It whittles back down to every man for himself, kind of. Does it? Because, I mean, I, I see what you're saying, but sometimes, like, I've also heard these stories, <clears throat> excuse me, like from in New Orleans and Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. You heard a lot of terrible stories, but they, I also know there was, like, this book uh, Rebecca Solnick wrote that was about how people in these dire situations kind of created a network and right. community and to keep themselves to sort of survive. I think... Yeah, I think it could go both ways. Yeah. I think it depends. Because in Sarajevo, um, the siege that took place there over the course of four years really brought people together. Mm-hmm. The, there were the people who were trapped in that city together. And they had created this entire world Then that was forcibly isolated from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. But it, I guess... It, yeah, and it's Depends. it's interesting because even like in New York City, when nine eleven happened, it was like people were suddenly talking to each other a lot more, and there was this sort of warmth and communication between strangers mm-hmm. that that happened, you know, after being shaken up like that. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is something to be said about that. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you, you, I know in your video you said um, that you see yourself as part of a, a long legacy of roving female banjo players. That's it. So tell us, wh- what, what is this lineage of, of roving banjo players? All well, um, something my banjo teacher, Diane Sanabria, who lives in Florence, always kind of drilled into my head was that you stand on the shoulders of other mm-hmm. musicians and not just musicians at all. I mean, people who got you your, ro- your right to vote or your access to birth control. Um, and these are uh, political f- figures true. and cultural figures and s- scientists and economists and teachers and you name it, ministers. Mm-hmm. But if I want to get very specific, there are people in the world who have done what I would like to do. Mm-hmm. And um, I look at, there's actually a song that goes, I'm going around this world, baby mine. I'm going around this world, baby mine. I'm going around this world. I'm a banjo picking girl. I'm going around this world, baby mine. And other nice. banjo players have taken that on. Uh, most recently, Abigail Washburn, who travels to China to study their traditional music with her banjo. Mm -hmm. And then you have musicians like Margaret Berry from Ireland, who is considered one of the last Irish travelers. Mm -hmm. And she has another song that goes, I will wander on forever with the banjo on my side. (laughs) And so 
I to me, and then that you have people like Gene Ritchie in the southeastern United States mm-hmm. who took their music all around. And and I think of my own banjo teacher as well. So mm-hmm. when you wield a banjo, it definitely has a history. And I try to be as conscious of those other musicians, especially women, because there's something that I connect to, but not exclusively. Right. And were some of those musicians you talked to, I mean, were there early women who did this? Because it seems like women have haven't had that freedom to mm-hmm. to roam and, and play music. There um, are some. They're few and far between compared to the rest of society. But you have women. There were a couple women who did some early ballad collecting in the Appalachian Mountains. I don't know their names. But they they are... There's a movie about them called mm-hmm. Songcatchers. And uh-huh. then in other countries, you have women like Violeta Parra, who is from Chile, mm-hmm. and she was a musician. She gathered Chilean folk songs, and she was very instrumental in the creation of this movement called Nueva Canción, which involved socially conscious songs, often using traditional motifs and musical ideas, mm-hmm. and singing them in a way that would really speak to the common people of Chile. Mm-hmm. So... There are these women who have had that chance. Like Edith mm-hmm. Piaf, who came off the mm-hmm. streets, mm-hmm. who have had the chance to travel with their music. And but this is what you want to do. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you've already been doing this. I'm trying to get started. Uh-huh. It's, um, I'm not quite so... I haven't given it all up or anything. What I do have you mean? A, I have a home, and I have a little room, yeah. and I have some things Oh, I it. see. Yeah. But... It's definitely something I've considered. Uh huh. Just really leaving all that behind and, and traveling. Well, it's <laughs> a, it's interesting because this these kind of things happened before the digital age, right? And I don't know exactly what it would mean to do something like that in today's world. Yeah, that's a good question because it it really does seem sort of like. Uh, a throwback but at the same time it seems like something we need (laughs) yeah that's it it's it's a very strange mantle because it doesn't always seem like it's doing any direct it it has any direct impact on the world but it's a it has to do with the cultural sustainability of a place Mm -hmm. all right Um, Okay, so I want to pause here and let our listeners in on a secret that Norma Jean has her banjo here with us in the studio, and she's agreed to play a song for us today. But first, we're going to hear some announcements, and then when we come back, we'll have Norma Jean all set up with a mic for her banjo. So stay tuned for that. Forbes Library offers free access to computers And now they are equipped with tools to make them easier to use if you are blind or have low vision. When you come into Forbes Library, you will find computers with JAWS screen reading and magnification software installed. Trained library staff are available to get you started. 
These services were brought to you with federal funds provided by the Institute of Museum and Library Services and administered by the Massachusetts Board of Library Commissioners. Call 413-587-1012 to find out more. Classical music on Valley Free Radio. Tune in to Andy Musique. Wednesday mornings at 7 a.m. for an hour of beautiful music to start your day. Hosted by Lucy and Larry. Okay. Um, Here's a song I wrote a couple weeks ago. It's called Soot or Stars. And I wrote it because I was inspired by um, the the way that certain people I know put their souls into what they do. This is just me drinking oolong tea in my mother's house. This is just me as quiet as a mouse. The clocks are all ticking, the candle, the wick, and the old kettle shouts. Then the ghosts, then the ghosts, then the ghosts, then the ghosts come out. There was an old woman who swallowed her pride. Perhaps she feelings inside So tell your old story Reclaim your glory Old grandmother died And watch where the ghosts Where the ghosts Where the ghosts go by And watch where the ghosts Where the ghosts Where the ghosts go by Forgotten yet, you mothers and daughters, I was born onto your shoulders, and I will come back for you as I get older. I've seen many souls from the sea to the shoals to the back of. Some have been bad and some have been good I know it's not right to call souls black or white But I've known it so far Souls are just souls, are just souls, are just soot or stars Souls are just souls, are just souls, are just soot or stars and daughters I was born onto your shoulders and I will come back for 
I get older This is just me At the edge of the sea On the spine of a stone Thinking of mothers And other souls That I've known Souls howl like wolves Ripple like waters Or open like doors But I've never seen Never seen Never seen one Like yours Like yours. No, I have never seen, never seen, never seen one like yours. Yay, that was so beautiful. Thank you, Norma. You're very welcome, Amy. Wow. I I, I know I heard that before at your performance. It's a oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Where does that song come from again? Um, where does it come from? Well, I was thinking about mothers and other souls that I've known. I was thinking about... And you wrote this song. Yes. Okay. I See, when I said that, I forgot that you composed <laughs> this beautiful song. That's right. I've been writing more and more songs. I've been... I thought that I was going to be a writer before I thought that I was going to make music. Well, you're sort of doing both. There you go. <laughs> it has to be that way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I am kind of curious about where that song came from. Do you remember a little bit of your creative process? Well, sure. That or with other songs? Yes. Well, most of my songs come out of poetry that I just discover in the world every day. Um, this song began one morning when I was sitting at the kitchen table in the house where I grew up, in downtown Florence, actually. And hmm, I always have thought about ghosts and not ghosts that could actually exist but more like traditions and how if you bring them to life in the right way it's like there are ghosts that have come back mm -hmm. um or when you have something like you, you have a pot that was made by a good friend mm -hmm. um and you kind of know that they're in it somehow does that make any sense you mean because they made that pot yes. there's something of their spirit is in the pot yes uh-huh that's something I consider from time to time and that for, so a lot of my songs this song in particular has a lot of places in it a lot of exterior and a lot of interior it's kind of you go to a place and you have a you you have a thought there and you go to another place mm -hmm. and you have another thought there oh. and then you go to another place and you have another thought there mm -hmm. which is a lot of how I write songs mm -hmm. <laughs> I write a lot of my songs out in the woods yeah. Wow. It's just your voice is so beautiful. And it, it strikes me that how expressive music is. And just so, there's so much emotion that you can express with your voice. Mm -hmm. You know, and there are so many different ways. That's why I love studying music. Part of why I love studying music from around the world is because there are so many different ways to use your voice. Mm hmm.
And it's interesting because like here we spent so much time talking and, and, and it seems like that talking is valuable, but it's sort of blown away when you start thinking. It's like, it's <laughs> almost a- like you get a breath in and a breath out, you know, mm-hmm. from like hearing a song like that or, or, or singing a song. You yeah. Know? So, absolutely. And you are literally breathing. That's a big part, as I learned through Penny, our chorus mm-hmm. teacher. Um, She's taught you well. Yeah. So, what are your projects right now? I want to make sure we mention that and, you know, so people oh, cool. know. Well, I have a couple. One exciting thing just happened last night, which was a performance. It's something like a theatrical piece, it's like a monologue with music. Mm hmm. As you were saying, those breaths in and out that about my time in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Mm-hmm. So that I, is ongoing. Mm-hmm. But I will be working on that more. So more performances and mm-hmm. sharing what your songs. When I come playing. back from the South, this I'll be doing a three-month intensive training at the Double Edge Theater oh. in Ashfield. Uh-huh. And I'm hoping to work on this material there. Mm-hmm. And then speaking of... I'll be performing at the Double Edge Theater's Ashfield Town Spectacle next weekend. Oh, tell us the date. And it's June 3rd and 4th. Mm-hmm. And if you go to doubleedgetheater.org, I think, mm-hmm. you can find more information about this event, at which the Spirit of the Hills Community Choir will also be seen. Oh, that's right. We're, yes. I really want to be there for that. <laughs> I <laughs> hope you will. Made. Yes. Um, <laughs> You're our last time to sing together. And mm-hmm. uh, more, I have the opera I've been writing with second and third graders is going up on June 8th at the school, the Hilltown Charter School, which is not really open to the public. But um, if you really want to go, <laughs> I have a Facebook page. It's Norma Jean slash Dream Haynes. Wow. That's the best way to get there now. Um, just write me there and we can figure something out. But I have to ask, how do you write an opera with second and third oh graders? Gosh. I was a teacher for many years. <laughs> that seems like it would be hard. It. Well, here's how it worked. We, um, what I did, it depends on what the kids give you. Some kids will give you little snippets of songs. Um, other kids will give you nothing, and you have to say, just pick one note. Mm-hmm. Now pick another. Mm-hmm. Now pick another, and you got a little segment. Uh-huh. Luckily, we were working from a story, an Abenaki tale about how Gluskabe found the summer. Found so, the summer? Found the summer. Mm-hmm. The, he has to go to the south and look for summer after mm-hmm. his land is thrust into um, winter, wintry oblivion. Oh, so it's a myth, like yes. a create in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we had that story where we could kind of plug in lyrics where we needed to. Mm-hmm. So are they um, singing in an operatic way? Or is it more just the concept um, of it's telling a story? It's mostly to... conceptual. Right. But right. the whole, all the spoken words are singing too. Mm-hmm. So... All the little bits that go in the middle are also sung, and they make up different ones every time. Uh And some of the kids are more bold about this than others. Other ones just sing one note, and that's all they sing. So you're really letting the kids come up with how they approach this, in a way. Oh, yes. So you're not writing it for them too much. That's the only way that it would be exciting for me. Uh My role in that situation has been mostly just to give some structure Mm-hmm. to the songs so that they become something you can grasp onto after the fact so are they writing the words too with our help the words and the music mm-hmm. that's amazing because um when i worked in a school i know that you know as good as the theater teacher was the kids were not writing i mean they might have been doing something but 
I think he was doing the bulk of the work yeah. in terms of, you know, the music and well, the lines. They were not lines that the kids could have come up with mm-hmm. at that age. They were... I don't know if the kids even understood what they were saying. <laughs> I see. Well, the perks are, of this way is that the kids do understand what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are pretty elementary lyrics. I imagine we use the word snow a great deal. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, describe winter. It's cold and snowy. Things like that mm-hmm. come up again and again. Mm-hmm. Winter's power, dark is night. Um, but at once, every once in a while a kid will come up with something that totally surprises you. Mm-hmm. Um, like a perspective. For instance, we have one little song, and it started, I must journey to summer's land. And then a kid sang, Everybody's depending on me. And even <laughs> just that line was very delightful. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you see that some kids are getting over their um, inhibition and, you know, becoming more confident and yes. sort of, um, you know, just something clicking for them and in, in mm-hmm. that through that genre. Absolutely. Um, some kids and you, it's very surprising which kids will latch on to the theater work and which ones won't. Some you think, oh, this kid will be great. And mm-hmm. they'd end up just being very distracted or they're still holding. They're still inhibited. Uh-huh. And others are totally free. Yeah. But I think it's immensely valuable work. And maybe some of them are just, you know, sort of like I was with Chorus. They're discovering, wow, they're actually, you know, they can do this. Yeah. And they, they're feeling good and more, you know, kind of confident, at getting a sense of confidence maybe they've never had before. Absolutely. Yeah. It's very possible. This is my first time working with a school group over an extended period of time. So it's been totally gratifying to be able to have come out of my shell and have them come out of their shells with me Mm -hmm. that's great um let's see have have you found that working with children has kind of influenced you musically in any way oh yes um well i tend i do try to keep much of my songwriting separate from the work i do in schools at this time Mm -hmm. um Although I know a lot of songs that I can sing with kids. And then there are some songs like Green Seed, Brown Soil. Mm-hmm. And everyone's telling me, oh, my, my kids are singing this song. Uh-huh. Um, and it's very, very satisfying to hear that. Yeah, I love that song. That was a song we sang um, in our chorus. And actually, that brings me back to that question about your creative process a little bit. Just that um, I remember you said that you wrote that song during the fall, mm-hmm. even though it's about the spring. And I was just curious uh, to hear more about that, like what you were doing when that came yeah. to your mind. Well, I was just walking in the woods, Amy. <laughs> I had a notion that that winter was going to be one of kind of incubating. And working in words. And so I think that song came out of that. But really, I don't have any conscious memory of how I wrote that song. Uh-huh. It just kind of popped into my head. Uh-huh. And now I think I should probably sing it. Sure. <laughs> that would be great. Just in case. <laughs> so that all the, all the listeners of Northampton, Massachusetts can um, sing this song with their families. Okay, let me get that other uh, mic up and um, go ahead. Okay, I'm not going to play it or anything. Okay. It goes like this. Green seed in the ground singing 
Must I know? Must I know? Brown soil all around. You must grow. Yay! And it's much better when kids are singing it. Um, I love that line. Must I know? Must I know? Because it's when I heard it. Yeah, just intuitively, it's it's exactly the kind of thought I've always wondered when I look at a seed. How does it know? Does it know that it's going to grow? It's just incredible. Like when you look at a tree and think that it came from a seed, you know, or just anything could come from a seed Mm -hmm. and be sort of in this dormant state. And then just with the right conditions, it can turn into something else. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, it it is. And that is a song that very much comes from Cummington to me because that value that you just expressed is very alive and well in Cummington because there are a lot of gardeners Mm -hmm. so there are a lot of people who think a lot about seeds Mm -hmm. and i wouldn't have written a song like that had it not been for the context in which i was living oh there you go with a sense of place Mm -hmm. yeah definitely and you know this is interesting because it also makes me think back to what you were saying about the digital age we're in and i'm just wondering how do you um reconcile the fixation on digital stuff, electronics, with your appreciation for cultural values reflected in traditional music. And I mean, is it partially that you're you wanted to you have a desire to resist that trend? I'm mm-hmm. wondering to move away from that. I think overdose. The is yes, <laughs> because I really have trouble navigating the digital I, I, I can do Facebook and I can do build a website and all that. But I, I do have a aversion to it. It really mm-hmm. drains the, mm-hmm. uh, the energy out of me. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is room to be someone who goes against that grain. Mm-hmm. Um, something I think about is since technology has really taken a forefront in our lives, um, folklore, the work of the folklorist and the historical work of the folklorist documenting music all over the world um, is really, it doesn't seem like that is the future of it to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not an expert. I'm a real amateur. Mm-hmm. But um, I wonder if one of the potential, one of the potential um, outlets for someone who wants to work in folklore in the future is since we've gone from not having enough information about different places in the different cultures Mm -hmm. to having an overabundance, maybe part of my work can be seeking out what has been overlooked in this abundance Mm -hmm. and different ways of doing that have been overlooked. When you say abundance, you mean like we have all this information at our fingertips, but what are we really doing with it? Like, Mm -hmm. um, and what is that little valuable thing that isn't very loud that got, swept off to the corner Mm -hmm. and how can I use that if it's true to me how can I use that and bring it to people Mm -hmm. and I um I'm much more attracted to the idea of using modern technology to bring people together on a very short notice in a spontaneous and joyful way that does not involve technology at all Mm-hmm. So maybe you could make a Facebook event for something that's going to happen mm-hmm. in two day in two days or in uh-huh. two hours, and people will show up because it's incredible. Uh-huh. Um, but once you're there, you're gathered together with people, and it's important to remember what that means. 
Uh And then you have to make sure you have a way to communicate to all the people who are off Facebook. Yes. So that they'll be there. Because that would be so sad if those people missed out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely. I know. Sometimes I just want to go back to the town crier way. (laughs) Uh Wow, that would be interesting. You should work on that. You could get your beautiful town cry throughout the coming (laughs) to. It's something I want to work on at the double edge. I do have questions about how we can continue to incorporate these ancient ways of communicating Mm -hmm. into our lives today. Right. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I wonder almost if there's, you know, because I have met people in their 20s who are deliberately moving away from Facebook or whatever it is. And sure. And maybe it's and I think almost maybe it's easier for them because they can feel they're rebelling against something they grew up with. Whereas, you know, if you're older, it's like, oh, there's it's more, oh, this is the new thing that I need to learn or whatever to be current. (laughs) I yes. Mm hmm. There are many edges to that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But it's hard when you have something like this in a radio show and everyone's expecting it to be a certain way. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, well, we've just about run out of time. Um, uh, and I, I want to uh, leave a little time for a song because you told me, I mean, a, not um, yes. a song that you told me inspired you, one of the songs that I have. Oh, what but song you, is that? you could also play another song, too. Um, well, the, what's the song that um, The song me? that I found was by um, Marlui Miranda. Oh. Called Aranuna. Aranuna. That's a Ara- beautiful song. Yeah, well, I, I don't see why we, we well, we could just play that song. Well, maybe <laughs> you could play a very quick song and then okay. and then we could go to that. How about this? Um I'll play you just a verse of the song that I wrote. Okay. Okay. It's okay, called okay. Joan. listening everybody thank you so much norma jean for coming on the show You're it's welcome. been a pleasure and if you want to keep in touch you can find me on norma jean slash dream haynes on facebook excellent so thanks for listening for listening everybody please tune in again next week sunday 11 to 12 noon and enjoy the rest of your week
就为。